Today we want to ask the question, how do you judge? We'll get into that on today's Bible Study Podcast. Welcome once more to this week's edition of Bible Study Podcast. My name is Justin and I'm your host as we venture through the Gospel of John. For those of you who are wondering, I was not able to put on the podcast last week as a result of being in a, in a great class at my school, a Southern Evangelical Seminary. And it was a class on the history and principles of missions. And we learned an awful lot and just had a great time in class. So I appreciate those of you who asked about me and asked uh, if I was okay. Um, I also want to remind you, you can always feel free to drop me a line at uh, BibleStudyPodcastJustin at gmail.com for anything that comes across your mind, and, and I'll try my hardest to get back to you as soon as possible. Also, I want to bring up something to you guys this week as a kind of an opportunity for you, the listeners, to get involved. I know that in the Christian commu- community, we often do a fairly poor job of knowing how to handle people who are very skilled in art. And sadly, there's often a perception that those arts people are, you know, way out there, or that they're kind of weird or different, and they'll just bring weird and different things with them. And and I'd like to go ahead and put a stop to that. I'd like to end that sort of thinking and uh, offer you an alternative. You see, I believe fully and wholeheartedly that God has blessed some of us to be more creative, perhaps more artistic than others. And rather than suppress that gift or use it for destructive forces or destructive means, I think we should use it to glorify the one who made us that way, our Father in Heaven. So it's with that in mind that I'd like to issue a challenge to you out there who are listening. I would like to challenge all of you to use what God has gifted you with artistically and submit some works of art to me through my email. And again, that's Bible Study Podcast Justin at gmail.com. Now more specifically, I want to see some of the poems you guys can write. I want to hear some of the music and some of the songs you put together. I want to read the stories that you develop. You know, no matter what it is, I, I'd love for you to send it to me, and I'll make sure that if if it's at all possible, that it will make its way on the podcast. Now, I'm not sure if I'll be able to post pictures or photographs fully yet, but just go ahead and send that as well, and, and I'm sure by the time it gets here, I'll, I'll figure out how to get it on there some way or the other. But, but please, let's use art for what it was intended to do, to glorify God. And I'm really excited to see what you guys have for that. With that in mind, I'd like to ask you to join with me as we approach the throne of grace in prayer. Our Father, it is truly an honor to be in your presence once again. You are the one who hears us when we call, and you are our salvation. And for that, we praise you. Grant us clarity of mind and peace of spirit as we seek to hear from your word tonight. To the glory of him who died for us, Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, if you live here in America, or if you keep up with this country through the Internet, you probably know that we have lost almost all productivity for the next, I don't know, 12 weeks or so on Tuesday and Wednesday nights as American Idol is on once more. Now, many of you are probably like my wife who absolutely loves the show and totally shuts down everything in order to watch it. And so, since it is one of my wife's favorites, I sat down on Tuesday night and watched the first episode with her. Now, in the first few shows, you know, we're shown mostly the people who didn't make it, the ones who didn't pass the audition. 
And they're usually pretty bad. You know, they're bad singers, bad performers, and they usually take a thrashing as a result as they stand before the panel of judges. But as I sat and watched, something came to mind. What's the standard by which they judge? You see, the judges were there to decide whether or not someone had merit as an artist based on their ability to sing and perform. But many of the people who entered the contest seemed to hope to be judged for some other reason. You know, like maybe for their reason they entered. Like, I'm doing this in honor of my dog, or I want to give my child something nice, or some other reason why they entered. Or maybe they did it for their uniqueness or differentness. You know, saying, oh, this show needs diversity. You need somebody from this background. You know, or many other random standards they may use. But the fact is, Paula, Randy, and Simon are there to judge whether or not a certain singer will sell a lot of albums with their talents. That's it. There's no other reason. And so as we watch, we see that the standard the contestants are called to follow by the judges seems to be different than the ones they really want to follow, the ones they believe they should follow. I think this is precisely what we will encounter in our passage today in John chapter 7, verses 21 to 31. If you have the chance, I'd love for you to turn there as well in your Bibles, and, and as you do so, I, I just want to remind you a bit about where we left off last time. As you may remember, Jesus has made his arrival at the Festival of Booths and has made a splash as he has come out and said that he has the authority to speak because the Father has sent him. Further, he asserted that the Jews didn't even try to follow the law of Moses as they were now trying to kill him. Now this, of course, brought the strange glances of the crowds as they all looked around and thought, this guy is crazy because he thought someone was out to get him. Of course, we know the Jews are already working on this in the background as we speak. But we left off last time with a kind of bewildered crowd. And so we pick up in verse 21. We see Jesus answering the crowd saying, I did one deed and you all marvel. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it's from Moses, but from the Father. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken... Are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Now today's passage, I think, can be divided into three parts. And what we've just read is the first part, which I'm going to call, Jesus exposes the problem. You, said, you see, he said to the people that I did one deed, referring us back to John 5, verses 1 through 17, where he healed the paralytic on the Sabbath. You know, as we saw just a few weeks back. And he said, I did one thing, and you all marvel. That is, you're all shocked. Now, why are you shocked? They're shocked because he healed a man on the Sabbath day. He did what the leaders would probably say is a no-no. But Jesus tells them, Moses gave you circumcision, and on the Sabbath you circumcise a man. Now, I think it's interesting that what Jesus does in this statement. He mentions that Moses gave you circumcision, which is what the crowd would say. But then he actually corrects him on it. He says, but it's really from the fathers. It's really from Abraham. You see, this would have been a crowd that felt like they knew the Old Testament. They knew the Hebrew Scriptures. But Jesus points out, they really aren't even right about what they think they know. And we'll see more about this as this develops. But after mentioning this point, Jesus proceeds to deliver an if-then statement to the people in verse 23, in which he says, If a man can be circumcised on the Sabbath so he doesn't break the law, then why are you mad at me for making an entire man well on the Sabbath? In other words, if it's okay to circumcise a man on the Sabbath so that he can keep the law and remain holy, 
then it should also be okay to heal a man on the Sabbath so he may be holy. You see, first Jesus pins them with their own inconsistency, but then he bombs them with this statement, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Now I think this brings up an issue which is key to our study tonight. What is righteous judgment and how does it differ from judging by appearance? Well, this is the idea of righteous judgment. And it's first found in the Bible in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 18, where God, through Moses, commands that Israel appoint judges who will judge with a righteous judgment. What does that mean? Well, he goes on to explain that it's a judgment that does not distort justice. It isn't partial. It doesn't take bribes. Further, he closes in verse 20 with this description. Justice, only justice you shall pursue, that you may live and possess the land that the Lord is giving you. Now, in the Old Testament, there are two other occurrences of this phrase. First is found in Romans 2.5, where Paul writes that the people who would not repent of their sins are storing up wrath for the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And again, in 2 Thessalonians 1.5, Paul writes that the church's sufferings are proof of God's righteous judgment so that they may be worthy of the kingdom. So when we put all this together, the picture that we get is we should judge as God does. And that's without partiality, without bias. Our judgment should be based on the reality of the matter, not on our own personal whims. Now I'd like to make a small side note here just to mention something to you. You may ask, if God's judgment's righteous, if he does what is right no matter what, he does what is just no matter what, but I have sinned, then how can I be reconciled to God without suffering his wrath? How is it that I don't suffer his wrath. I've sinned. He must judge. Well, friends, the answer is that Jesus has paid your debt. You are guilty of sin, and you deserve judgment in the form of separation from God in a real place called hell, just as I do. But thanks be to God, he has given us grace so that we may have Christ pay the debt for our sin and come and dwell within us, making us a new creature in him. Now, having said that, though, This verse is set up judging with righteous judgment against judging by appearance. Now what does that phrase mean? Well, quite simply, it means judging by your own perceptions, by the outward appearance. It's not a judgment that is based in reality, but instead a judgment based on the biases of the judge. You see, it is the fact that this type of judgment is so prevalent among mankind that Isaiah prophesied back in Isaiah 11.3, that the rod from the stem of Jesse, that is the Messiah, the Christ, he will delight in the fear of the Lord and shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor. See, Jesus is not telling the people something new. It's not something original. Rather, he's letting them know that he's the Messiah, and as such, he expects their judgment to be as his and as his Father's judgment righteous and true. The problem, though, as we shall see, kind of expounded in a moment, is that the people simply are not righteous judges. They judge by appearance. So with that said, let's continue to verse 25 through 27. I believe we can call this the second part of our passage tonight and name it the crowd's reaction to his revelation. You see, some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, is this not the man whom they, the Jews, are seeking to kill? Look, he is speaking publicly, and they are saying nothing to him. The rulers do not really know that this is a Christ, do they? 
However, we know where this man's from, but whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he's from. You see, their answer, I believe, is very telling of how they derive their truth and how they know who to follow. First, they appeal to the Jewish leaders in their decision-making. Isn't he the guy the Jews are trying to kill? Why aren't they saying anything about him? Do they know he's the Christ? Are they not letting something on to us? See, first they look to the leaders to make sure that they've made the call. Let them tell us who to follow. But then they go to another fact, a strange fact. And they say, hey, we know where this guy is from. In fact, we know his family. But whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he's from. So, basically, they believe that since people know where Jesus is from, he can't be the Christ. This, however, raises a big question, and I think tells us a lot about the crowd. They speak as though they know this fact as prophecy, and so it must be so. But there are two issues. You see, first, the Bible never actually says that no one would know where the Christ would come from. As the scholar Merrill Tenney notes, this shows a complete ignorance of the prophetic scriptures among the crowds. After all, in Matthew... We see the scribes telling the wise men that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. So they did know where he was coming from. The crowd just doesn't know what they're talking about. Now this may have been some sort of urban legend that was floating around with them that the Messiah would just pop up out of obscurity, but it's not from the Bible, and they claim as though it was. They act as though it is a matter of truth, it is a matter of prophecy, but they just don't know what they're talking about. I think the second part of this is... Something that Matthew Henry, the commentator of old, handled marvelously. And here's what his quote is. Here's a fallacy in the argument, for the propositions are not adapted to the same view of the subject. If they, the crowd, speak of his divine nature, it's true that when Christ comes, no man knows whence he is. For he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, who is without descent, and his goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. But then it is not true that as for this man they knew whence he was, for they knew not his divine nature, nor how the word was made flesh. If they speak of his human nature, though, it's true that they knew whence he was, who was his mother, and where he was bred up. But then it's false that, that ever it was said of the Messiah that none should know whence he was born, for it was known before where he should be born. So observe... How they observe how they despised him because they knew whence he was. Familiarity breeds contempt, and we are apt to disdain the use of those whom we know the rise of. Christ's own received him not because he was their own, for which very reason they should have rather loved him and been thankful that their nation and their age were honored with his appearance. How they endeavored unjustly to, to fasten the ground of their prejudice upon the scriptures as if they countenanced them when there was no such thing. Therefore people err concerning Christ because they know not the scriptures. In other words, what Henry's trying to say is people are just giving evidence to the problem that Jesus has stated for them. They judge by appearance, not righteousness. Now our last part takes place in verses 28 to 31, and I think we shall call it Jesus' response and the crowd's results. See, then Jesus cried out in the temple, teaching and saying, You both know me and know where I am from, and I have not come of myself, but he who has sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to seize him, and no man laid his hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. But many of the crowd believed in him, and they were saying, When the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? 
Now, in the Revised Standard Version, the first part of Jesus' quote in verse 28 is translated as a question. And, and I think it really fits better that way, as it restates it. So you know me? And you know where I am from? You know, from there, he proceeds to show the people how little they actually know him and where he truly comes from. First, he lets them know that he has not come of himself. He has not come in his own authority. But rather, the one who is true, the true God, he's the one who sent me. But you wouldn't know that because you don't know him. Wow, what a damning statement to the people. Jesus drives the point home by telling them that he knows him, the Father, because he's from the Father, and the Father sent him. Now, I think Henry again adds a beautiful description of this thought, writing, There's much ignorance of God, even with many that have a form of knowledge. And the true reason why people reject Christ is because they do not know God. For there is such a harmony of the divine attributes and the work of redemption, such an admirable agreement between natural and revealed religion, that the right knowledge of the former would not only admit but introduce the latter. That is, if we knew God, if we study Scripture, we will see Christ come through. This is the reason why good judgment is so critical. This is the reason I posed the question to begin with. This is why I've made this the theme of this podcast. If we're using a judgment that is righteous, that is just, if we know God and we know His Word, we will see Christ and we will see His sacrifice for us. What was the reaction to this? Well, some tried to seize Him, but it is not yet His time, so He got away. But some believed. Some realized that this was in fact the Christ, and this is the hope for us. You see, when we tell the Gospel, when we reach out to others... Some will turn us away, for they're using false judgment. Their sense of reality is jaded. They're not acting from a pure nature. But some, by God's grace, will answer. And they'll get to know their blessed Savior. They will truly have the ability to say, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. What a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit washed in his blood praise God for his marvelous works toward us and until we meet again friends may God bless and keep you
This lesson has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcasts.org, a para-ministry of Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which is a non-profit, listener-supported ministry based in Monroe, North Carolina. While our desire is that your primary giving be done with your local church, if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry, we do depend on your support to keep our ministry going and growing. If you feel the Lord calling you to support our ministry, you can go to BibleStudyPodcasts.org and click on support on the right-hand side. You can make a tax-deductible donation from there. By doing so, you'll be helping us to reach multitudes of people each and every month from around the world who, just like yourself, desire to find answers and meaning in Scripture. We thank you for listening today, and we pray that the Lord blesses you and draws you closer to Him. Keep growing closer to Jesus.